Good morning, Harvest. Happy Easter. He is risen. Amen. Well, this morning I have the pleasure of reading uh, the word of God to you today. We are in Revelation 3, verse 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write the words of the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent." Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Amen, amen. Thank you, Carlos, and welcome to Harvest. And uh, my name is Dan Hammer. I have the privilege of being the senior pastor here. And if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, would love to after the service. And one of the things you'll get to know about us at Harvest is this is your first time here, whether you're on per, in, in person or online, you are family here, and we love you here. Um, he is risen. Praise God, amen. You know, the story of this is a welcome to the celebration of the greatest day in human history that changes everything for you and me. The story of Easter is God making dead things alive, amen. And we're going to see in Jesus' letter in Revelation chapter 3 as we conclude our Letters to the Church series today that the heart of Jesus says this, that in the middle of your rebellion against me, I am here to provide you redemption through me. That's the story of Easter. That's the heart of Jesus in his word today to not just the church at Laodicea, but to you and I today. Easter is a story of a living hope. It's a hope that when we look at our lives and see things that we think are dead or seem like they're dead, they don't have to stay dead because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Amen? Praise God. So I don't know what you feel like is dead in your life today. Maybe it's your joy or your hope or your peace or a marriage or a relationship or a prodigal son or daughter or a strained relationship, but I want you to know through the power of God what is dead or what seems dead doesn't have to stay dead because we have a risen Savior who changes everything. That's the hope of the gospel, and that's what we're going to look at today. And so if you want to get a head start, we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3, which is the last book of the Bible, the third chapter of the last book. So we'll look all the way to the right of your Bible if you have one. And if you don't have one, we have one in the back for you as a gift to you. We would, nothing would give us greater pleasure than you to, to take God's word as, from our heart towards to yours and look at it and read it. Now, when I was a child growing up, when I was like, seven, eight, nine, 10, I forget exactly how old I was. I was probably about as old as our two younger boys are, somewhere in that age range. I loved to play outside. Would run around the neighborhood, bike around the neighborhood, play hoops all day long, and would come in hot and sweaty one summer, summer day, and I was sweating, and I was hot, and I wanted a drink. I was thirsty. And I ran into the house, and I looked by the kitchen sink of what I thought would be a beautiful, refreshing drink. It was, it was clear. I, I thought it was pure water, and I chugged it without thinking anything of it. And no, no, no longer had the water hit my lips and then into my mouth and into my throat. Then I began to spit it up and throw it up because what I thought was pure water was actually contaminated with something that was going to destroy me. It was bleach. My mom had been cleaning. Now, after some very frantic calls to the poison control center, 
after hours spent gargling and me becoming very good friends with our toilet, God graciously saved me. But that distaste that was caused as the water was contaminated with something that took it from its original form and made it something that was, instead of giving life to me, was going to destroy me, is exactly what Jesus is talking to the church at Laodicea about today. He says, I have given you the living water, but you have contaminated it with an ingredient that will destroy you and be the end of you. You see, that ingredient for you, church, is the self-sufficiency with which you are living your life. You see, the living pure water that I offer to you, Jesus says, is all about savior dependency, but you have contaminated it with self-sufficiency, and it will destroy you. But there is hope for you, because I love you. And if you turn and you repent, what is about to destroy you, I will make alive in you that I will meet you when you are rebelling against me and I will offer you redemption through me. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of this letter to the church at Laodicea and it's a message to our hearts today. The book of Revelation is all about the recognition of Jesus' worthiness, that he is risen, that he is reigning. And today we're gonna see Jesus not just as the judge, but as the great physician, not just physically, but spiritually. The good doctor looking at our hearts, doing an exam of seeing, are you relying on yourself or are you relying on me? Because that is an eternal decision that the ramifications will stick with you for all of eternity. And that same question that Jesus is posing, that same challenge that he's challenging the church at Laodicea at, is the same challenge he's offering you and I today. The choice is yours. Easter demands a response. The gospel demands a response. And we're going to challenge you. The, the text is going to challenge you. Jesus is going to challenge you. The Holy Spirit's going to challenge you to respond at the end of this message. And so I pray that you would open your hearts and you open your life to this reality of Option A is this, will I choose a door of self-sufficiency and allow it to destroy me? Or option B is, will I choose a life of savior dependency and choose to live with Jesus for all of eternity? That choice is what lays before each and every one of us today. All of us need to make that choice. Maybe, again, maybe for the first time to experience salvation or again and again in areas of your life for sanctification that you've wandered from the Lord and you've started to take it back into your own way. The big idea for today, you'll see it on the screen and in your notes is this, that faith in Jesus Christ is the only true remedy for the sin sickness that condemns me. Faith in Jesus Christ is the only true remedy. We try a lot of other things for the sin sickness that condemns me. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the beautiful reality of Easter Sunday. God, the victory that you purchased for us that while we were far from you, you came to us. And Jesus, I thank you for the cross and I thank you for the empty tomb. And in these next few moments that we have together, I pray that we would center our hearts on the reality of who you are, that we would experience the victory. You want breakthrough today, God, but that only comes as we choose savior dependency and and repent from our areas of our life where we are self-sufficient. Father, I just pray that you would silence our hearts and that you would flow in a mighty way. God, that you would exalt yourself and that you would convict and compel Holy Spirit, that you would exhort and encourage. And as each and every one of these letters has said, Holy Spirit, we know that you're speaking. Help us to listen. Give us the ears to listen. Whatever brings us here this morning, we know that you're the one that ultimately brought us here. And I pray that you would do the work that you want to do in us and through us. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen, amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Revelation chapter 3, which is where we're going to be today, the last of these letters. Jesus Christ is the author of these letters. He's writing to his church. And he writes this in verse 14. And to the angel of the church at Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now, Laodicea is the only letter of the seven to receive no encouragement from Jesus, no commendation, if you would. It is completely, completely a heavy critique. 
It is, a con- it is a letter with criticism and correction and says you are headed towards condemnation, church, if you do not turn. But even though it is without commendation, it is with hope. Because Jesus is our hope. To understand this letter, we really have to understand the geographical and the historical context. Laodicea is located in the Lycus River Valley. It's located near Colossae and Hierapolis. More on that in a little bit. It was most likely planted and founded by Epaphras, who planted out of the church at Ephesus. He he probably planted all three of these churches, and that's why church planting is important. That's why we're church planting church, to live on mission for the Lord, to see others come to know the Lord and Savior. This was a church of great financial resources. They were well off. They had a wealthy uh, commercial center. They had an impactful and important clothing manufacturing center. It's centered on black wool. They had a very famous medical school known for ointments for their ears and their eyes, ophthalmology. And Jesus will speak directly to this in this text. Jesus, when he writes to us, when he speaks to us, meets us exactly where we are. The Holy Spirit does the same thing. And so I just pray that you would open your heart to hear him in his loving encouragement and his loving exhortation, his loving commendation maybe to you this morning and maybe even loving conviction that you would listen and that you would allow him to speak. The church at Laodicea was a sick church because they were a self-sufficient church. On the surface level, the books looked great. They had lots of money in the bank account. They probably had a sweet church building, but they were dying on the inside because they didn't have Jesus. And friends, can I lovingly encourage you this? This is an incredible example and a vivid illustration of the reality that you can sit in church all your life and still miss Jesus Christ. It's not about religion. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Going to Sunday school doesn't save you. Putting money in the offering plate, giving online cannot buy your salvation. You can't outsource your salvation. My parents know the Lord, therefore I know the Lord. My spouse, my siblings know. It has to be a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's at the heart of this text. Because Jesus is saying, while you sing about me, while you talk about me, church, you do not know me. Because you are pushing me far away and saying, I got this, I don't need you, Jesus. And the story of Easter is the antithesis of that. It says we need Jesus. We're helpless without Jesus. And I pray that you would open your heart and the eyes of your life to see, am I living a life that is edging Jesus out, even pushing him out, saying, I don't need you. I got this. Or are you going to the Lord in fervent surrender and dependency and say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. Amen. Jesus today is knocking on the door of your heart saying that he is the only hope for your heart. Praise God that wherever you are today, Jesus will meet you where you are and offer you hope. His grace covers our guilt. His sacrifice pays for our sin. May today not just be the day we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, but may be the day that we celebrate your resurrection today as well. Jesus wants to bring life into those places in your life that you think are dead. So I'm getting older in life. My kids reminded me of this distinctly in the car yesterday. Say, Dad, you're old. They love me. That's part of this text, right? Part of love is speaking loving truth. Because I'm old and not just 40, but into my 40s now, I decided it would be a good idea to actually go back to the doctor about actually not being there for like a decade, right? Because I don't really, like I love enjoying living in blissful ignorance. If there's something wrong with me physically, I kind of want to know it so I can get to work on it, Right? or else it literally could be the death of me. In the same way that we love doctors that tell the truth to a doctor is to sit down and like, tell me what it is, doc, right? Don't mess around. Jesus, as a great physician, is going to speak very, very truly to to our hearts and to the hearts of the church of the Laodiceans today. This is your problem. This is your current diagnosis. Here is your prognosis. Do you want to change or not? And in the same way, he's going to lovingly look in our hearts and speak directly to us today. Because he loves you. And he's going to look, he looks at the Laodiceans and he's looking at us today and say, here's a brutal reality. Your spiritual condition is critical, but it doesn't have to be terminal. 
It will be if you continue this course, but you have to change. And there is hope for you if you're willing to change your diet, your spiritual diet, your heart diet. It's not a fun message to hear from your physical doctor, right? But we need it. And spiritually, the same thing. So Jesus' diagnosis, we're going to see three parts of Jesus' diagnosis today from the text, from the hearts of the church of Laodicea to our hearts as well. The first part of Jesus' diagnosis out of love is this. I am the antidote to the sin that ails you. I am the antidote to the sin that ails you. Jesus offers this diagnosis, these three of them, in like a hope sandwich, if you would. The first part is hopeful. The second part is hard to hear but we need to hear the reality of it because it's hope. We, there's hope in that. And, and we don't recognize the reality, we'll never experience the victory, right? And the third part is hope giving as well. I am the antidote to the sin that ails you. We all have a sin problem. And that sin requires a perfect sacrifice, which we talked about a lot on Friday night, that we, none of us in this room are perfect. The welcome to the non-perfect church full of non-perfect people but one committed to worshiping and pursuing our perfect savior. So Jesus looks at this and here's, here he goes, you, need a, you, need a, you have an ailment and well, you need a solution. I'm it. Look at verse 14. He says, hear the words of the amen. Now the word amen here is a beautiful word. It's a Greek translation of a Hebrew word in the Old Testament that means truth. It comes straight from Isaiah Isaiah 65, 16, where it says, God of truth. And using this title, Jesus himself is telling you that he is the truth that you need in the world that is relative. He is the absolute truth, and he is the true fulfillment of all of the prophecies of God. That he is a long-awaited Messiah. That he is, he is both the lamb that graciously and gruesomely was slain on Friday, and he is a lion that was risen from the grave to reign on Sunday. He is the exclamation point. He is the answer to what ails you. He is finding you and seeking you. It brings to mind what Paul writes in in 2 Corinthians 1, where he says, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Jesus himself is the way, the truth, the life. No one gets to the Father but through Jesus. He says, I am the the antidote to the sin that ails you. He continues, he doesn't just stop there. He says, I am the faithful and true witness in verse 14. This is a reference back to chapter one, verse five. Chapter one is beautiful where Jesus just declares his glory and his splendor that he is risen, that he is reigning. He's the alpha, the omega. He is the almighty. He's the beginning and the end. He's a faithful witness. Praise God that Jesus is faithful even when we're faithless, amen? Amen. We are faithless and we sin against God, but he is faithful and Jesus pursues us. The word witness there is the word martyrist, which we get our word martyr from. Jesus is the faithful, full, complete representation of God because he is 100% God. And he is a full, faithful, complete witness demonstrating the unconditional and redeeming love of God so much so that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Praise God, amen. He is the antidote to the sin that ails us. There was no other way and Jesus made a way. Praise God. And he continues, he says, I'm the beginning of God's creation, verse 14. The word here is originator. Jesus here spoke life into being. Read John 1. He was there at creation. He is the creator. He spoke the original creation into being. And 2 Corinthians says that he speaks the new creation into being. That when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we are a new creation, amen? The old is gone, the new has come. He speaks us, he speaks life into us, and he purchases eternal life for us. He's a creator, he's a sustainer. He is our savior, he is our strength. Praise God. He's the only hope that will really hurt, help you in your hurt and the heart. He is the mercy in our mess. Today is the reality that you and all, I have a sickness that we've been diagnosed with that we don't have the personal cure for, but praise God, we have a savior who does. What remedy today are you seeking for the sin that ails you in your life? 
Where are you seeking sufficiency? You can't work hard enough. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't go to church enough to get it. Only by faith we are saved through God's grace. To what remedy are you seeking? Jesus is the antidote for what ails you. The second part of Jesus' diagnosis is this. He says, self-sufficiency will be the death of you. Self-sufficiency will be the death of you. Look with me, beginning of verse 15. Jesus continues, I know your works. You are neither hot nor cold. Would, you that, either, would, would that you either were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. Harsh truth, but loving truth. Kind truth. Because we need to recognize our reality. Now, this is one of the, it's really important to understand the historical context here and the cultural context to understand really what Jesus is saying, because this is often misinterpreted. What Jesus is not saying is like, I wish that you were like on fire for me or rebelling against me, right? Why would Jesus want you to rebel against him? But this is directly referencing a cultural and historical aspect that the, the receivers of this letter would recognize. So Laodicea was located, and you'll see this, go ahead and throw the, image, the, the map up on the screen. They were located in this river valley, very, very close, about 12 miles from high, both Hierapolis and Colossae. Think about where we're located right now in relationships to, say, Baltimore and Annapolis. Now, Hierapolis was known for warm medicinal springs. Colossae was known for cool, refreshing water. So what Jesus is really saying here is that the gospel in and of itself is both beautiful, pure water that heals those that are sick and spiritually hurting, like the warm springs of Hierapolis. And the gospel in its purest form is a cool, refreshing drink for those that are spiritually thirsty, amen? And it's pure. But church, you are neither hot and helping people, pointing them to me, saying that I am the one that heals you. And you are neither cold, saying that Jesus is the one that will quench what, the thirst that you have. Therefore, you are lukewarm because you have distorted the purity of the gospel with the destructive ingredient of self-sufficiency. And I will not stand for it. And because you have misrepresented me and because you have distorted the gospel that is me, I will spit you out. That word spit out literally is vomit. Jesus is looking at the people that call themselves a church, but aren't really a church because they don't have Christ. And they're saying, you make me sick. When he looks at your heart today, friends, would he say the same about you? You talk a lot. Maybe you show up at church occasionally or all the time. Maybe you give, maybe you go, I don't know. But you are building your life on your own self-sufficiency. Is that you? Because it will be the end of you. That's what Jesus is saying here. I will spit you out for all of eternity. Hell is a very real place. There will be people in heaven when they meet Jesus on when they stand in judgment before heaven, when they meet Jesus, say, Jesus, I did this. I did this for you. This is Matthew. Jesus himself said this. And Jesus says, I get away from me. I never what? I never knew you. Is that you? And if that is you right today, I pray that you would turn to Jesus and put your hope and your faith in him today. Because the purity of the gospel says you don't need anything outside of Jesus Christ. You don't need anything outside of the Jesus Christ. When you actively misrepresent God, you invite the just wrath of God. The cause of the condition that condemns you is not anything from the world that is around you. It is the sin that resides in the heart inside of you. It's not their fault. It's your fault. Stop blaming other people. Owning the reality of the sinful condition of your own heart. But look at the heart's Look at the hearts of the church of the Laodiceans. Verse 17, and see if this is you. For you say, I'm rich. I've prospered. I need nothing. 
Who's the subject there? You, me, who should be the subject? Jesus. I have a big house. I'm good, God. I have good health. I'm good. I got the job. I got the girl. I got the corner off. Jesus, I'll get back to you when I need something. I'm good right now. No, you're not. You're headed for hell. Hmm? I don't care how much you dress it up. Jesus is saying, if the heart is all about self-sufficiency, it will be destruction for you. So friends, when you look at your heart and your life right now, are you telling Jesus, I don't need you? I don't need you in my marriage. I don't need you in my job. I don't need you in my parenting. I don't need you in my hobbies. I'm good. How's that working out for you? And if you're about to crack right now because you're sitting in here and you're just that feeling that is welling up inside you, let it come. You don't have to put on a face. Just come as you are and Jesus will meet you where you are. That's the heart of this text. You don't have to play that you're good because the reality is none of us good are good. None of us are good enough. We're all jacked up, messed up, screwed up, but we have a savior who loves us and died for us. Praise God. That's Easter. Because look at what Jesus continues. He goes, you think you're so important, but you are both spiritually ignorant and spiritually impotent. Because here, you don't realize, but here's the reality of your life and your heart. You're wretched. Check out these symptoms. Is this you? You're wretched. What is wretched? I don't feel wretched. It means afflicted and troubled. You're lacking peace. Is that you? You might skirt it in spiritual language and dress it up, but inside you're a hot mess because you are living for you and not for Jesus. Is that you right now? Turn to Jesus. And look at that. He goes, pitiable. That word, you know what that means? It means miserable, literally. You can't buy happiness. Some of the most unhappy, unjoyful people are the richest people in the world because they serve a God of a little bit more. Maybe so you do too. Let's stop serving the God of a little bit more and start serving the God of more than enough. How much is enough? I will be happy. Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more money. A little bit more. A little bit more kids. A little bit more family. A little bit more job. A little bit more accolades. Man, Jesus says you're building your house on the sand. It's going to come tumbling down. And then he says, you're poor. Now he begins to get really at their hearts right now. Remember, the church at Laodicea is in a really wealthy center. They probably had great money in the bank. They probably had a great strategic 10-year plan. They probably had great, in the eyes of the beholder, great Facebook stats. But he goes, look, you might, be, think you're, you, you might be rich in the bank, but you're bankrupt in your heart where it really matters. And then he, go, he continues this. He goes, you're blind. Remember, they were a center of great ophthalmology. They had great eye care products. He goes, you think you're all that, but where it matters most, you're spiritually blind. Where are your blind spots right now, spiritually speaking? And he goes, you're naked. You think you have this beautiful cloth, this black wool that you are so proud about, but why don't you anchor your heart in me? Stop worrying materialistically and start humbling yourself. Friends, where is your hope today? Because all of our materialistic things are but rags. Look to the Lord. The purity of the gospel, Jesus says in John 7, he, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Remember that, true, that faith in Jesus Christ is the only true remedy for the sin sickness that will condemn you. Whoever believes in me, is that, will you believe this morning? Out of his heart's full of water, rivers of living water. And in that, in that text, he's, Jesus is quoting back to John chapter four. He's quoting what he already said to the woman of the well where he tells her that woman, whoever drinks of me will never be thirsty again. And where he's speaking to a woman that he didn't culturally, shouldn't culturally speak to, a woman that was trying to find her sufficiency, hopping from bed to bed, from guy to guy. And Jesus says, you don't need that, you need me. And even though the world says you don't deserve it, I offer it. The world says you aren't worthy, I say you are worthy and I will give my life for you. 
Friend, he does the same for you today. Are you living a life of self-sufficiency or savior dependency? Here's the beautiful reality. Remember, your spiritual condition of your heart is critical, but it doesn't have to be terminal. Because here's the third part of the diagnosis from Jesus right here. That savior dependency provides eternal life for you. Self-sufficiency will be the death of you, but savior dependency provides eternal life for you. Because look at verse 18. Praise God for verse 18. He goes, I counsel you. No, let's stop there. If Jesus says, I counsel you, should you listen? Yeah. The creator of the world, the one who reigns in full authority says, listen, I'm going to give you some free piece of advice. But how many of us are like, Jesus, I don't need you. You know what the greatest piece of advice right here is? The word of God. Are you living your life on the word of God? You're like, when does Jesus speak to me? Here it is. He wrote a book. 66 chapters of books. He gives you the Holy Spirit who literally says in verse 22, he's speaking. Are you listening? I counsel you, so you may listen up. Because it takes a heart posture of humility to experience eternal victory, to really listen and to humble ourselves and say, we don't have it all figured out. Jesus, actually, I do need you. I counsel you to what? Buy gold from me refined by fire. Here are Jesus' doctor's orders. He gives a life-giving prescription to all of us. He gives a diagnosis that says, if you continue in your self-sufficiency, it will be the death of you. But here's your prescription. Here's how you, if you live this out, if you follow me, it will lead you to eternal life. Sound like a cool prescription? Awesome, right? Will we follow it? Will we live it? Will we look to it? The first part of our, our Jesus' life-giving prescription for us today, and it is dripping in irony. It is absolutely dripping in irony as he speaks to this church at Laodicea and calls them out for what they have put their sufficiency in and things that are not him. And may he call us out too out of love today is that we need to prioritize the correct riches. Jesus, the good doctor, the great spiritual physician says, you need to prioritize the correct riches. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. What does that mean? He says, you can have all the paper money in the world. You know what? That will not stand up to the fire of the tribulation. It will burn away, but gold will not. Gold will stand. And I am that gold that you seek. Are you putting your value and hope for salvation and peace and joy in earthly riches? Or are you seeking me, the one who offers you eternal riches? The hope of the gospel. And by the way, it says here, I counsel you to buy. You're like, buy, I don't have money. Here's the reality. It is a free gift to us, but it costs Jesus everything. He's like, it costs you a lot, but here's the good news. I already paid the price. I covered the tab. I love what Isaiah says in Isaiah 55. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and what? Eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and and without price. Nothing else in this world will satisfy you. Where are you seeking your satisfaction today, friends? What are you thirsting after? We're all thirsting after something. Is it Jesus or is it something else? Because nothing else will satisfy, only Jesus. I need a relationship. I need kids. I need a job. I need this. I need that. You know, we need Jesus. I'm not saying those things aren't nice or those things aren't even from God, but when they replace God, it will be the death of you. Secondly, Jesus says this. He says, clothe yourself in Christ's righteousness. My righteousness, he says. He continues in verse 18, so that you may clothe yourself in the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. What a beautiful statement. Again, he's speaking to a group of people that prided themselves in the manufacturing of beautiful clothing. Black wool, luxurious items, but nothing materialistic can save you. You can go on a shopping spree to try to numb your pain, but all you do is run up your credit card bill and you still have to pay the tab later. Jesus says, put it on my tab. When he talks about white garments here, he's talking about robes of righteousness. He's talking about the reality that we bring nothing to God but our rags of sin. And Jesus says, put your sin on my account and I will give you my perfect righteous standing for God in your account. And you can take my robe and you can clothe yourself in it. 
I love the reality of what, how Paul describes this process in Colossians chapter two and verse 13 through 15. He says, and you who were dead in your trespasses, remember what's dead is not done when it comes to Jesus, praise God. And uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by what? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Somebody had to pay the price. This he set aside. How did he do it? Nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And Jesus had risen from the grave in victory, conquering sin, defeating death, offering you his robes of righteousness. So when you stand before God, God doesn't see your sin. He sees his son perfection. He sees you as holy. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus takes us from hostile to holy from adversary to adopted, from forsaken to family. Praise Jesus. So today, will you clothe yourself in Christ's righteousness? And what I love about this passage, Jesus doesn't just cover our sin as if that weren't enough, right? He covers what? He covers our shame. He covers our shame. Friends, you aren't defined by your past failures. You don't have to be. You don't have to be defined by your present sin because Jesus looks at you and he enters into your mess and he says, I love you. I see you. You are worthy even when you mess up because I will cover you. That my grace is enough for your guilt. That my love covers your shame. So friends, I don't know what you are ashamed about today, but I just want you to know that when God looks at you, if you were in Christ, he is not ashamed of you. He looks at you and sees his son. He looks at you and sees love. He looks at you as the one that he created in his own image, that he purchased with his own blood, that he wants to spend eternity forever with. And he says, I love you. I love you. And I pray that you would see you in the way that I see you as one worthy of love. Because I paid the price fully for you. Which leads to the third part of the prognosis, the prescription here. It says, see your sin situation and your savior rightly. Jesus continues and he says, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may what? You may see. You who boast of a great ophthalmology school, and that you can heal people's eyes. You are blind to the own spiritual condition of your own heart. And I want you to see two things clearly, Jesus says. And friends, I want you to see them too. One, the vastness of your sinful condition and the greatness of our Savior's death, burial, and resurrection. Because we need to first understand how great a sinner we are to then understand how great a Savior Jesus is. While our sin is great, his love is greater. That's what he's saying right here. See, see clearly, see rightly the reality that without Jesus, you are dead, but with Jesus, there is hope that even as you've been anchored in a heart posture of Jesus, I don't need you, there is hope for you as you declare your victory, as he declares your victory today. Will you look to him? When you look in your heart right now, what do you see? Are you pushing God away? Are you admitting the reality of the severity of your sin? Don't stop minimizing your sin. Come to the cross as you are. We're all sinners. The severity of the issue in this area of your life or that area of your life where you've been trying to live life your own way where you say, God, I'm done with your way. I'm gonna have it my way now. I'm gonna pray for my way. I'm gonna do it my way because I'm done waiting on you. I'm done seeking you. I don't wanna seek you. Where do you need to see your situation clearly? We need to humble your own heart under the authority of God's word and praise God for like biblical community. This is a huge part of why it's very important to be a part of a church and a small group and to be known. And if this is your first time here and I see some new faces, we would love for you to come back and not just come back and sit in a seat, but get involved in hearts and lives because we need people that help point out the spiritual blind spots in our hearts and lives too. That's part of biblical community to be able to see clearly, to pursue greatly, to live savior dependently. We can't do it alone in isolation. And when you see God clearly, you see that he is what you needed for your life, your peace, your hope, your joy, your marriage, your parenting, 
your financial issues, and you respond dependently with a heart posture of this. Paul writes in Romans 10 that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's the message of the church, from Jesus to the church at Laodicea. Stop refusing the reality that you, need, you don't, that you need me. Stop saying, I don't need you and change your heart posture to Jesus, I need nothing but you. And how do we do that? By declaring that Jesus is Lord and believing that God raised him from the dead. Today, we celebrate the reality that God raised Jesus from the dead, amen? Will you believe that in your hearts today? And will you declare him as Lord? Which means he's master, which means you will, you will, you will submit that you will bend the knee. Where do you need to bend the knee today? In your prayer life, in your day-to-day life, where do you need to bend the knee? Lord means Jesus, have it your way, not my way. Because self-sufficiency says, I want it my way. Friends, we're not a Burger King. We are serving the one true king. Said, Jesus, I want it your way. And I want you to be exalted. And and the fourth prognosis for us today of the prescription, the fourth part of Jesus' life-giving prescription is this. Respond with commitment and repentance. Look at verse 19. Those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. Those whom I what? What does that word say? Love? If you don't hear anything else, hear this. You are loved. Jesus is reproving. He's rebuking because he loves you and he knows it's what's best for you. Because if you continue down the path that you're on, it will end in destruction for you. He loves you. And he says this, those whom I reprove and those, who, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So what? Be zealous and repent. Zealous means compassionate commitment. The evidence of one who lives a savior dependency is living a life faithfully and obediently to God's word. Committed. And repentance. Repentance means turning from my sinful ways and turning to God. It's a heart change. It's a life change. It's a mindset change. That no longer am I going to live in my sin, but I'm going to turn to Jesus and say, not my way, but yours be done. Where do you need to do that right here? Because Jesus says this in, in John 1.9, 1 John 1.9, he says, if you confess you, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from what? All of our unrighteousness. Jesus is here today to offer you robes of righteousness. He is here today to cover your sin and your shame. Where do you need to repent? Where do you need to turn from God and lean into God? Where do you need to look to Jesus and say, I'm done living my way. Today, Jesus, I want to have it your way. Jesus, I need you to breathe life into the dead places. Jesus, Jesus, I'm tired of the facade. Jesus, I'm tired of playing the game. I'm miserable on the inside, and I'm going to own that because I need you. That's the story of Easter. That's the hope. Friends, this is a safe place. The the foot of the cross is, the ground is level. Come as you are. Come where you are, because Jesus will meet you exactly there. In your marriage, he'll meet you. In your finances, he'll meet you. In your decisions, in your job, he will meet you. Because he says, I am enough for you. He wants you. I created you. I am the creator, he said earlier in this text. And he's pursuing you. Look with me at verse 20. What does that word say? Behold. Jesus says, I am at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. If anyone opens the door and lets me in, I will eat with him. The gift of God is available, not just to somebody's, but to everybody. If anyone, anyone includes you, opens the door, responds to me, I will come in. Today, we have two decisions to make, two questions for you on Easter Sunday that we celebrate Jesus' resurrection, but I pray it's the resurrection in your life, maybe for your heart, for joy, for peace, maybe in your marriage, maybe in your job, maybe in whatever. But the first decision is this, because the gospel demands a response, is will you receive Jesus or will you reject Jesus? He is here and he's knocking on your heart and mine right now. And we're right here. I don't know. 
I don't really want to surrender. Maybe that's you. I want it my way. I, I got enough money. I got, I'm good. I got enough popularity. I don't need you. So Jesus, I'm good. And you're walking away. You're rejecting. You're walking from Jesus and into eternal life of damnation in hell. If you do not, stop. And open the door. Not in some cheesy way, but in some real way. And you notice what Jesus says? I want to come in. And what does he want to do? Eat. I want to feast with you. You're like, my house is messy. I haven't cleaned up in a while. My kids threw up all over the place last night. Jesus is like, that's the reality. I embrace the messy. I came for the messy, the hurting and the broken. I came for you. I want to eat with you. I want to feast with you because I want a personal relationship. It's not just some religion. It's intimate. It's known. It's breaking bread at the table full with goodness and mercy. The blood that I poured out for you, the body that was broken for you. I want you, but nobody else does. I don't care what the world's rejected you. I don't care if your spouse left you. I don't care if your girlfriend dumped you. I choose you. Will you choose me? He's knocking on your door of your heart right now. Will you open the door and let him in? Because here's the second choice. Jesus continues in verse 21. And he says this, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. I also conquered and sat down with my father on the throne. Isn't that awesome? Jesus also conquered and he sat down on the throne. He is risen and guess what? He's reigning. Death couldn't hold him. Satan couldn't stop him. That's my savior. And he invites you to sit on his throne with him. Isn't that awesome? Here's a choice. Choose to sit with Jesus and reign for all of eternity or choose to be spit out by Jesus and live forever in misery. He says, if you are full of self-sufficiency, I will what? I will spit you out. But if you humble yourself and choose the path of savior dependency through faith in me, I will sit with you and reign for all of eternity. Isn't that awesome? So friends, what's your choice? Jesus is knocking. How are you responding? It's a personal decision for each and every one of us individually to make right now. So what we're going to do right now is, as I want you to bow your heads. I asked a couple different people to, to go into some of the corners of the room. We're going to have two different people up front. Pastor Andrew is going to be in the back, so if you can make your way there now. But we live life together in biblical community. Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart right now. The Holy Spirit, verse 22 says, is speaking to you. One, are you listening? Two, how are you responding? Are you leaving the door shut in Jesus' face as he's offering you the hope, the joy, the peace that you are desperately yearning for? Or are you willing to open it up, humble your hearts, submit your life to him, admit the reality of your depravity and experience the victory today through him? Him and only him. By faith, we have, by grace, we have been saved through faith. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But Jesus graciously gives it. So we're gonna, I'm gonna, Amy's going to play for a little bit. I just want you to do business with the Lord. He's knocking on your heart. He's knocking on the heart of every single person here. What is that dead place in your life that you need to ask Jesus to breathe life back into today? And you can't do it on your own. We are here to walk with you and the strength of God is what carries you. It's the work of the Holy Spirit working in you. So if you want someone to pray with you and I would strongly encourage you to be willing to humble yourself. It's not about what anybody else around you thinks about you. It's what Jesus is offering to you. Would you be willing to get up and go to one of these corners and pray with Jeff or pray with Anne or pray with Pastor Andrew or grab somebody near you and pray with them? And after a few moments, I'm gonna close this in prayer and then we're gonna respond in victory and save your dependency because Jesus is worthy of our praise and he has won our victory. He has paid our price and nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. So in this moment, just ask the Lord to reveal to you how he wants you to respond because right now he's knocking. Stop with the misery and allow Jesus to give you the victory right now.
to repent of? What do you need to commit to zealous faith and obedience? prayer here in a second, but if you feel the Holy Spirit moving as we respond to sing, our friends are going to stay in the corners here for a little bit, at least for the first song. Feel free to get up and go and ask for prayer. Humble yourself. Where do you need to stop saying, I need nothing, Jesus, and say, look to him and say, I need everything. Father, we just thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for the foot of the cross, the work that you did for us on the cross, and God, in these moments, God, we're just humbled by the fact that you would cover our sin and cover our shame. That you looked at us and deemed us worthy to lay down your life. And now we celebrate your victory. God, we stand before you at the empty tomb and we realize the reality that the grave couldn't hold you. That sin couldn't stop you. That death couldn't defeat you that you are our way maker. You are our hope giver. You are Jesus Christ. The amen. The faithful witness. The creator. The sustainer. You are our savior. And we worship you because you are risen and you are reigning and you are worthy of our praise. In your name we pray, amen.